The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Now, Frank Rainey here on the show filling in for Matt Cooper and it is time for The Last Word on the Environment with uh, John Gibbons. Now, John, electric cars seen as better for the environment. That's what we've been told. Why does Mr Bean feel duped by electric cars and is he right? Uh, good evening, Frank. Yeah, I suppose most of us remember, uh, this is Rowan Atkinson, of yeah. course, the actor. Most of us remember him for his famous little mini minor. Mm. Now, in real life, he's a good deal less modest. He has uh, a car collection worth about 12 million sterling, including a 1997 McLaren F1. That one car is worth 9 million. So, so Mr. Bean is what's known in the trade as a petrol head. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of caught people by surprise was last Saturday, he ran a piece in The Guardian, which is normally very right on in, in terms of environmental issues. So people kind of thought, well, I guess The Guardian must have checked this. And the piece basically was saying, I really like electric cars, but I feel like I've been duped. And when I looked into it, it turns out there isn't really that much of a benefit. Now, strangely enough, the same Guardian has today published an article thoroughly and completely debunking uh, Atkinson's piece. So it's it's very strange. It looks like they, because of his celebrity, uh, if you like, Frank, he was given a kind of a free pass. Here you go. You're well known. Everyone's heard of you. And by the way, I think his qualification, which he introduced well, I was, was... I was going yeah. to ask you about that because I didn't realise that he had these credentials. He studied an electrical and electronic engineering degree. That's right. And, but again, you're talking about probably 30, 35 years ago. And yeah. of course, he hasn't kept up with that. And, and science has moved on. Electronics yeah. has moved on. If you think of the best available uh, electric... Dev- electric vehicle 35 years ago was a milk float. Uh, today it's you know, a Tesla Model S. So really, times have moved on, but Mr. Bean has kind of fallen far behind. So to take it if you, briefly through some of the things, the first is, let's go to the actual science. What does the science say about this? The IPCC uh, said that with what they call high confidence that EVs have lower greenhouse gas emissions than conventional cars. Now, they, they worked this out uh, on what's called a life cycle analysis. So first of all, building an electric car uses slightly more uh, carbon, if you like, than building a, a regular internal combustion car, yes. However, the real impact of a car of any kind is its lifetime emissions. Mm. Now, a typical internal combustion car will produce about three tonnes of uh, CO2 emissions a year, every year that it's running. So if that car is on the road for 15 years, that's 45 tonnes. So over its lifetime, the actual emissions, the driving emissions, absolutely overwhelm the emissions involved in manufacture. Now, the EV, yes, you've got a higher initial outlay in terms of manufacturing, but after that, the driving emissions are drastically lower. And there's a reason for this, Frank. It's because the, the, the EV engine is inherently vastly more efficient. In simple terms, 80% of the power in an electric vehicle goes to turning the wheels. In a regular petrol or diesel car, less than 20% is available to turn the wheels. The rest is lost in combustion and in transmission and in heat loss. So they're, they're inherently incredibly more efficient. And of course, that translates to uh, much lower emissions. Now, of course, we can't simply replace it, say in Ireland, Mm. 2 million uh, internal combustion cars with 2 million electric vehicles. We know that. But what we do know is there's always going to be a role for the private vehicle. And the electric vehicle far and away is the is the best option available on the table. Of course, we need to reduce it. We need to increase and improve uh, public transport. But there will always be private cars, particularly in more rural areas, and far and away. And of course, the other important thing to say here is, yes, the upfront cost of buying an electric car is a bit higher than, a, than, its, than its internal combustion equivalent, but the running costs are drastically lower. I can say this with some confidence, having driven uh, diesel for years. I switched about five years ago to electrics, uh, and once you get the of them, they're 
fantastic. There's simply no going back. It's it's a it's a yeah. it's a phase shift in technology, and I would never consider going back. So his 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 main issue with it seems to be the actual manufacture of of these uh, vehicles. And this was he was referencing a research by Volvo, which suggests that greenhouse gas emissions during production are seventy percent higher than petrol vehicles. And he also um, mentioned the harvesting of rare earth metals and huge amounts of energy needed to create the lithium ion batteries. Yeah, again the. First of all, of course, the, the study that he referred to, the Volvo study itself, being being of a particular car manufacturer, has in turn been debunked. And mm. again, as a guy writing an article last Saturday for The Guardian, you don't just take a study from a, a vested interest like a car manufacturer, you find out what did the science say about it. So, unfortunately, what, what it seems like he's done is he's taken, if you like, his starting point is... I don't like electric vehicles. Now I'll go and gather evidence. Now, that might sound like a harsh assessment, but let me put it to you what what he said when he was actually challenged on his article. He said, quote, everybody cherry-picks evidence to support his or her thesis, and I'm sure that your scientists and experts will be doing the same. Now, if that's the case, Rowan Atkinson knows absolutely nothing about how science works. Scientists are not allowed to pick their favourite piece of evidence and discard the rest. In fact, the whole point of the scientific method is to gather all the available evidence sieve out the stuff that doesn't hold water and then publish your results no matter what way they fall. What, what Rowan Atkinson doing here is he's doing a bit of a Mr. Bean. He's basically uh, taking a comedy turn on a serious subject and floating, if you like, through his celebrity. And this is a real thing we see that people who are famous for things, let's be honest, he's not exactly famous as an electrical engineer, but his fame has allowed him to make mischief in this area. Mm. Well, like his alter ego, Mr. Bean, perhaps it'd be best to uh, keep his mouth closed on this particular topic. But let's move on. It's World Oceans Day. Um, so might be worth posing the question, how can Ireland help protect uh, the world's oceans? Well, I suppose the first thing to say is that, uh, and again, regular listeners to this lot will be unsurprised to hear that uh, the world's oceans are in trouble. They're, they're, they cover about 75, 70% of the surface of the earth is covered uh, by oceans. And right across the way, the indicators for health and well-being in our, in our world's oceans are really, really poor. Between It's a combination, really, of rising temperatures, uh, acidification as a result of... Uh, the oceans absorb huge amounts of carbon dioxide. And when they absorb it, that... That very act of absorbing CO2 acidifies the water. That acidification is making making oceans hostile, for example, for creatures that require shells because the calcium carbonate in the shells is broken down by the acidic water. So we're basically changing the chemical composition of the water by the amount of CO2 from the atmosphere being drawn into the oceans. Now, of course, the other huge pressure on our ocean systems is overfishing and pollution. Mm-hmm. We know, for example, that about 8 million tonnes of plastics alone are making their way into the world's oceans every year. And that's a cumulative problem because the 8 million tonnes from last year are still swishing around. So these are cumulative issues. So rising rising temperatures, uh, acidification, overfishing, of course, is a chronic problem. And this is one of the things that's been addressed at the at the uh, Oceans Conference, which, by the way, is taking place in Cork today yeah. all day long. And they had various speakers uh, from around the world. And we found, for example, that Barely 2% of Ireland's coast, uh, which is designated as marine protected areas, is actually properly protected. So we have situations where these are called MPAs, marine protected areas. And people listening to us would assume, Frank, that, well, that's great. At least that's safe. You have bottom trawlers 
operating inside marine protected areas. And for those who don't know what a bottom trawler is, this basically hauls netting and rigging along the along the the the, the ocean floor, the sea floor, and pretty much destroys everything in its path. Yeah. It's an incredibly inefficient. It's probably the equivalent of of going into the jungle to hunt for an animal and burning the jungle down in the process. And of course, the reason there isn't more public outrage about the damage that we're doing to our oceans is because it's out of sight and it's out of mind. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is because Ireland in the grand scheme of things is seen as a small island. People quickly forget that the Irish government has jurisdiction over a huge body of water. But let's move on because we're almost out of time. But I do want to ask you the question, is it too late now to save Arctic summer ice because some climate scientists would suggest it is? That's right. A, a major new study published this week indicates that, yeah, the tipping point on, on the uh, Arctic summer sea ice has passed. Let me explain explain briefly what that is. Essentially, the top of our world is covered in a floating layer of sea ice. So the Arctic Ocean isn't, unlike Antarctica, it's not land, it's actually sea. And over that floats a shell of sea ice. Now, for eons, that sea ice has continuously covered there. It has a huge impact climatically because it reflects enormous amounts of solar energy directly back into space. As that melts, basically you get a huge energy imbalance, a shift in the, in the energy system. And why, you might say, does that matter to us here uh, in Ireland? The reason it matters is that that is going to have devastating consequences, particularly on the jet stream. And the jet, the jet stream is the high atmospheric uh, airflow that flows, if you like, above the Arctic regions. And that is affected by, by the condition of the Arctic. So essentially, we're going to see much more extreme heat waves, more storminess, and also more droughts. And basically, it's an amping up of extreme weather. And I guess the key thing to say here is that we have, we have shifted our, our climatic system. And let me just give you what one of the scientists said about this particular study. Yep, really yeah, quick, we very are briefly, he said, as scientists, we've been warning about the loss of Arctic summarize for decades. This is now the first major component of the Earth system that we're going to lose because of global warming. People, he said, didn't listen to our warnings. Yeah, and you do have to wonder how many warnings do people have to get before they actually take action. But we have run out of time. John Gibbons, thank you so much for that. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.